Welcome to the Fitness in Color podcast, where we follow and highlight the experiences of people of color in the wellness and fitness industry, telling their stories in their own words. When I started getting calls to go to camps and go to all these places, there's no guarantee in that. And I had a lot of buddies in the league that were bouncing around away from their families. I, I thought about my childhood. I thought about what kind of father I wanted to be. And I immediately just like, I said, is my dream bigger than my child? It took a realization for me to, I called some coaches back. I called my agent. I was just like, you know, I, I got to lock in and be a dad. I think it's more responsible. It, I just didn't have anybody to give me another perspective on how to do it. Now, if I were to see another young man, I might be able to help that person to give him some steps without abandoning the dream because I never believe that you can't try to do both. I have a better understanding of balance and how to get to work and get to end goals than I did at that time. So I abandoned the football plan, just got into a dad plan. Welcome to the show. Yeah, man. I'm excited to talk to you, your story, even from the little bit that we've talked about on um, on our pre-interview call and then from the, the research I did on you, um, I'm super excited to talk about like your story, specifically how you transitioned from D1 football to boxer to now training others and, mm. and all that. And finding out that you're from the city of champions, Brockton, mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. So tell us what you're doing now. I created and developed the program for boxing and for fitness. One just kind of connected to the other. I first got into it, oh man, maybe seven years ago after my boxing career looked like it was going to come to a halt. I had a major, well, not a major surgery, but for a boxer, I had to essentially replace some of the tendons in my bicep. And uh, Mm -hmm. if you don't have your jab, this is my jab arm, you don't really have anything to start the fight. You have to get creative. I've gotten creative. And what that in, injury did for me was cause me to prioritize my program, dissect my program, understand rest and recovery, understand preparation, understand the fundamental things that need to happen for an athlete. Not to say that you won't get injured, but it just made me dig into my process a little bit more. And then when I started discovering myself more as an athlete, it bred into my confidence and developed my program that much further. And then it didn't. It expanded my vision of what the program actually is and what it provides and what we can do with it. So, yeah, I, I developed this program. I started in Bishop's Boxing in West Bridgewater. It was, it was almost a hobby in its infancy. And then I found a couple guys that, that saw my training, saw the things I was doing. I was like, Julian, I, I want to get down with that. How, how, do I, and how do I learn this process? How do I fight like that? And I said, it's not necessarily about fighting like me because, to me, everything about boxing, and about sport is less about the rule and more about the read. The read of the person, the read of the scenario, and the read about your fitness. So I spend a lot of time with people discovering what I think their needs are. We have a dialogue about those needs. We set goals and agendas around those needs, and then we execute appropriately. We found people that want to lose weight. We found people that truly want to be technical boxers. And we found people that need the relation from boxing and sport. So we're feeding those aspects. I want to start from the beginning. Yeah. I want to get to know Julian. Um, so grew up in Brockton. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about your childhood. I know I have a lot of friends from Brockton. Sure. And a lot of Cape Readings in Brockton now. Yeah, CV. Um, and so, <laughs> and so I, I know a little bit, but I want to hear what it was like uh, growing up as a kid there. First, I'll address the Cape Verdean thing because I, I am half Cape Verdean. <laughs> uh, oh, I didn't know. Yeah, being from Brockton, I, I don't know who isn't, but... Uh, we're all yeah, family. Good point. You know, I, I I always felt disconnected with that part of my heritage, which is sad. But it was it was a force that happened in my family generations before me. It was an assimilation to try to be more American, to try to pass off as something we weren't. And it kind of stripped us of our language, our roots, and our connection to that. We started speaking less and less Creole. I'm third, third generation in Brockton. Okay. My grandparents spoke Creole. But they used it as a language to like speak around the kids so that they could just say what yeah, they wanted yeah. to say instead of like inducing. But they wanted us to be American. And my mom was one of the few people in the family to, to marry a black man. He was from North Carolina. He was not of the culture. I don't know that he was readily accepted right away. 
there was some old school yeah. vibes happening for my father that he had a struggle to overcome. But then that, that leads into my story in Brockton, and it kind of started with my father and almost ended with my father. It's a tougher thing to say to strangers because I've only recently started telling this story. And I think I buried it and I struggled with it. Yeah. I want to pause there before we get into that sure. and just address the fact that immigrants come to this country and they are forced to assimilate because they don't want to be called out. They don't want to be different. This country, as much as it is a country of immigrants, it's not very accepting of immigrants. And I can only imagine those times where like passing and wanting to your third generation. So we're talking like 50s, 60s, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Even probably a little mm -hmm. later. And then like, it's just, you're in the middle of like the country coming to grips with its racism. And so I could see how that struggle happens. Um, and, and your mom being the first to marry like a black man of America because, you know, she's black from and we're trying TV, to be, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's always very interesting. It's, it's something I've even struggled with myself. I would yeah. say those things directly led into some of our demise. I can, uh, I can sadly say until now, there wasn't a man in the household, at least in my immediate family, until me and my uncle became parents at this point. And that was, that was a, a frightening realization when I brought it back to my family one day. I was sitting at a family event, and it was all the women of the family who had always been around me. It was almost like these women were sent here to mold and protect me, to make sure I became who I am for my family now. And I'm grateful to them for it. My grandmother led that charge, and she told me I'd be a leader for my family and she she kind of said how I'd recreate the face of it and that's kind of where boxing and sport and heritage and all these things started to combine for me and started to click into what my role really was you know let's go back to you said something interesting it started with your father and almost ended with your father so I wanted to dig deeper there if you're comfortable going there yeah yeah um I I think it's an important story because I think young men that come from this may, may be able to get to hear it and understand that there's other opportunities or other ways that 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 saying about being gifted in sport and entertainment sadly was true in my case. Like I, if I didn't have sport, I don't know what opportunity would have opened for me. If I didn't have my mother and her strength and what she was imploring me to be, like showing me those all these examples of like perseverance and dedication and commitment and like in the face of like the worst circumstances. And he was given a death sentence at the age of fourteen. Him getting into his early thirties was a gift. But when you talk about like he 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 was raised on the same plantation that his family was owned on, and then oh wow he was abandoned by his mother, but that was a sad story in itself. And then he moves to this place. He meets a Cape Verdean girl. That's not like the most well received thing in its time. We're trying to her family's trying to be more American and assimilate more fair skinned. Here's this brother from the south, probably has the accent. And this whole vibe. But anyway, we gravitate, we merge, we meet, we blossom. My grandmother and him have a beautiful relationship. And, and it, it got passed down to me. And that's how her and I got so close. But his death around what was so, it was the crack pandemic. You know, my, my father was given a death sentence at 14. I talk about that because he had such a weak heart. And I think that combined with the pressure of having kids, combined with the pressure of the time, being a black man trying to make it, he's married this family that isn't doesn't have the same experience as him. They're not speaking the same language even. When he got into drugs, I just don't know what kind of space he was in or how bad he was hurt. And I, when I first grew up in this knowledge, I I I thought that was like, man, my dad let me down. He wasn't strong enough for me, or he didn't try for me, or did he love me? And then I got into this whole rebellious stage. Right, I wasn't in sport for most of my childhood. I was just in the streets, you know, doing whatever. Uh, single mom, and we just moved a lot. It just, it changed my community every year. It led into fighting. It led into anger things. It just, I naturally fought a lot. I want to address the fact that your dad was born on the same, and raised on the same plantation that his family was owned on. Mm. Because a lot of people don't realize how close recent yeah. how close slavery plays yeah. a role in like everyday life for black people these days right and so that's just a, it's crazy how you're one i mean you're you're one generation removed from the plantation where you, where your your family was on 
which is and and here you are in 2020 2020 black man what what a business owning a business a family living in Abington. so i i think uh i i just wanted to touch on that because a lot of folks listening to this i want them to make sure that they caught that yeah man appreciate that it's i no one said it back to me in that way in that format so that was impactful even hearing it it was thank thank you and then you touch upon the 80s being like the crack epidemic so your dad was he he overdosed uh they found him overdosed. with uh with, with his team, you know. Um, my dad was a legendary hooper, man. My dad my dad played in the time when Patrick Ewan was in Cambridge. My dad was hooping with those guys. My dad could play, man. Like, I, I fully believe a man's legend from his grave to this point in my life just shows a testament to his skill and what kind of athlete probably we all are in my lineage. But it was just such a young life that was stolen. My, my dad was charismatic, uh, you know, a suave cat, a fly cat for sure. Uh, I still, mm-hmm. I probably dressed like him on purpose just to pay a homage to my dad. People ask why I got these hats and these things. It makes me think of him, makes me feel connected to him, so I get into that. I make my son get into it, you know. we. <laughs> my son carries my name, my father's name, and my grandfather's name, and no pressure, but he's just going to carry us. Uh, to such new heights, and he's going to change the trajectory and 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 the foundation that the Pollard name and, and our family is built on. He's going to be great, and he's going to bring us with him. So Julian James Thomas is a testament to me, my father, and my grandfather. None of us got to know each other. We were all stolen from each other, from whatever this system was. But he's going to know me, and we are going to magnify in him, if that makes sense. Because he is him. It's deep, Ooh. yeah, man. Bro, that uh, that damn there, yeah, that that was, yeah. Okay, Julian, when uh, man, that that was tough. You knew your dad until he was about until you were six, yeah. And then, what was life after that? How'd you get into sport? How'd you get into football? Man, so life after that was a whirlwind, right? I, if you imagine, after his death, my mother went on this complete rampage of hard work and dedication, man. Like I had never seen yeah. an individual take on so much with, with so little like resource. Like I said, we had this community of things, but we were stricken by depression. We were stricken by drugs. Our household was as broken as it was. We were rich in love, but we, were, we lacked organization and leadership. So we were together mm-hmm. kind of stumbling around in the dark. My childhood was like a wild ride. People ask why I like a lot of people around and why I never stopped moving. My childhood was just on volume 10 a lot of times. It wasn't like study time, study space. It wasn't really quiet. We lived in packs of 10 people in a house. But then we started to move rapidly. And it was all for the better. Like, I don't mean to make it sound like that was a bad thing. It, we just had to improve communities. We had to improve standings. My mother was a bag wreck at Shaw's doing groceries. She worked her way up to running stores across the state, which got us to Connecticut. Once we got to Connecticut, she was like, all right, I finally got them out the hood. I finally got them in a place where we could blossom. And I was rebellious, man. I uh, I thought mm-hmm. that time was like, it, it took me out of Brockton, took me out of the things mm-hmm. I knew, people I knew, the guys I was running with. I thought those were my family. The men in the streets are, are raising you as much as you're raising them when there's no fathers around. None of us have. I didn't know one cat that had a dad, not one. So, like, it wasn't sport that was my driver. It was the streets that was my driver. Now, luckily, my mom had enough strength and, and, and like, fortitude to, like, always pull me back out of those moments. And then finally she said, forget trying to look for this kid in the streets. I'm just going to move him. So she moved mm-hmm. me. I fought it. I did the wrong. I was still I was still all Brockton when I got to Connecticut. So my first year was a wash. Yes. It, I wasted it, you know? Then I... This coach sees me walking across the gymnasium. He had been trying to recruit me now. Mind you, I had been ignoring him, so I didn't know what was in the letters. I didn't know what was uh, being said about me. I didn't know everybody was watching. You're going to be a waste mm-hmm. of talent, and you're not going to be anything with your life. You're going to be a loser, and you're going to be like every other talent that just walk in and out of here. You'll never be anything. And this is in high school? This is in high school. Now, imagine I'm a full-grown man that's never had a man try to tell me what to do. I always had fight or flight in those scenarios. I thought I was going to fight my teacher or my coach. 
Because, like, you know, it was just a challenge real quick. And I was like, every scenario I've been in like this never ends well for me or for whatever. So I look at him for a second. I was like, man, I'm not going to get into it with you. You're an adult. I'm going to respect you. And he goes, I wasn't looking for anything from you. I knew you weren't going to do it. So I move on. Now, hoop. I'm thinking I'm going to follow my father's dream. So I love hoop. I go out for hoop. Of course. I make the varsity team. They're all into it. Yo, this kid moves here, boom, boom, boom. He can play, blah, blah, blah. Hey, bring me your progress report. Oh, you do those? I had not had a, a, a te- I hadn't been in school yet, really. I was coming to school yeah. like third period every day. Um, it wasn't from a lack of trying. I was trying to fail. Like I was trying. You were try. You were trying to fail. Yeah, and it's weird. Sabotage. Yeah, just I want. I thought I wanted to get sent back to the hood. I thought I wanted to be with my homies, and I I rode that train anyway. The football coach comes back in grinning. I can get you right on this. I can fix this problem, Julian. If you get with me, I'll take care of it. I thought this was the hookup. So I, all right, whatever you say. Because at this point, I was doing homework outside the study table on the ground trying to prove to this basketball coach my willingness to turn a new leaf. And he goes, it'll never happen, son. So the football coach sees me, sees his opportunity, jumps on it. So me thinking it's the hookup, it's not. The man didn't even allow me to practice. I still hadn't I still hadn't gotten to official sports my sophomore year. He put me in a study table with a tutor and a permission slip from teacher to teacher. Did he do his work? Did he study? Did he do his work? Did he study? Did he do his work? Did he study? This went on for a year. I thought it was the worst thing ever. It gave me such discipline and habits on how to work that I had no choice but to play for this man, it seemed. Like he was slowly yeah. starting to turn my life. So I get into football. First thing I do is get into a fight. I get kicked out of the biggest game. I still didn't understand, you know. I'm still bumbling around, looking for leadership. I start challenging the coaches. We get into it. Me and my buddy, same household, same story almost. We're we're feeding each other on this rebellion. (laughs) We got the whole team in the uproar. Again, he cleans it up. He forces me into a starting position. He forces me into manhood. He brings this coach in from Texas, Coach Duckworth. I called him recently last year to thank him. And Coach Duck just had a militant, strong silence, man. Dark as midnight. All you could see was the red in his eyes. And he would wear this low-brim hat and fatigue pants and a hoodie. And he'd come up there, and he did not play with me. I think one time he grabbed me by the wrist and bent my arm out. He was like, if you can't do that, you can't play for me. If you can't handle the rush, if you can't handle hands, if you can't do these things. And he just kept challenging me and molding me and changing me until I bought into this man so much that I thought some of these guys were like my dad. I, mm-hmm. And then I became captain of that team. Then I became in relentless pursuit of that team. But my other trigger was my mom didn't know I was playing football. She didn't know this was going on. She read about it in the paper at work, and somebody challenged her. She was like, hey, you going to see your son? He's really becoming a big deal, huh? After that, she was like, what? Scholarships, this and that. She freaked out. She tried to put the brakes on football. He doesn't even like football. And she was right at this point. My, yeah. I knew my sisters were going to college after. I knew I didn't have – we didn't have a lot of outlets. I just thought once, once this coach came to me and told me I could play somewhere for free, I thought it was an outlet for our family. So I just rode yeah. that way. I was like, I'm going to just go yeah. all in with football. And then, boom, college football came, took me up. What position? I played defensive end and outside linebacker, man. And I played I played with some of the best cats out there. Unfortunately, it's my man's, but I played behind Dwight Freeney. And uh, it's, no, it's no easy task playing second fiddle to that cat. <laughs> nope. Nah, man. Not at all. Uh, and I, I know a lot, of, uh, a lot of Patriot fans know that. <laughs> yeah, sure. from his days in Indianapolis. Wow. Um, we played in high very, school very... and then college together. So it was like I, my mother made me go there because I had committed to Iowa and it was too far for her. And she wasn't ready for like truly not be having my support. And when I think yeah. back, she just still needed me. We were, we were a pair for so long. So being in upstate New yeah. York gave us, a, you know, some, some uh, support for one another. So you were, you were you got recruited to Syracuse, um, and then so from high school to Syracuse, what was that transition like? How was it being alone, away from home, I th- and in this in this environment where you got to be independent? 
Sure, sadly I had been for so long. Because once my sisters came, I knew where my mom's priorities had to be. And this is when I ended up finding myself alone a lot. It wasn't a knock on my mom, but like these two young girls, I finally could start taking care of myself. She almost had to be like, hey, be good. Like, good luck. Like, you know, like in the summer, if they went away to daycare or to be watched, I kind of just went back to the community and we just were out on mm-hmm. Yeah, You got to do what you got to do. She's gotten you out of, out of Brockton. She's putting you in a new position. Now it's like, you got to, you got to pull your, you got to pull your weight yeah, too, bro. Yeah. Yeah. It's a mother's intuition, sure. you know, do what they can. She said it to me one time. She goes, uh, I had all the F's. I didn't make the basketball team. It was right when the coach told me I was wasting my life. She goes, you know, I've given you everything I can give you to this point. It's time for you to become a man and understand what men have to do. I said, you can either, she said, you can take hold of this and change yourself. Or you can let it take hold of you and change you. But I know you, Julian. And she walked away. She didn't punish me. She didn't scold me. She, she didn't even help me with my homework. She just said, figure it out. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, mother's intuition, bro. I talked about that a lot um, on this show with other you know, black men because we, we, have this, we have shared experiences. Maybe not to the same extent, but definitely shared experiences. Um, so you got to college, you, uh, how'd that football go? I mean, it's D1, right? There's a lot of discipline. You're playing on a high level. How was that? Man, I got hit with some of my old habits right away, but I overcame them quick. I, I became a captain at Syracuse. I can say coach Pascaloni, uh, shoot, man, I could go down a big list of people that just gave me game and, uh, David Tyree was on the team. Dwight was on the team. Clifton Smith was on the team. Keith Belton, Chris Davis, uh, Coach Azanaro, Coach Ripon. Man, I wish I could name that entire squad. Those being of people gave me such a new uh, family, empowerment, understanding, love. They, yeah. they, they truly were like the capping piece that like propelled me to like, all right, Julian, this is how, this is how you take on the world now. There's nothing like family, a team family. Yeah. Like a sports team family. Yeah. I miss those days. Like I miss yeah. I miss sports mainly because of that. And and I feel like what I've created in the running team that I've created is exactly that. It's family. It's yeah. It's an extended family of support. Community. That you, that you go through these experiences. Yeah, community. And I think that's a big part of of just creating sport in general. And we'll get to the team Pollard and yeah. what what you've uh what i'm guessing is 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 part of what you've created as well so you you played four years i played four years yeah i was a true freshman we struggled my first year there my first two years there the team was in like a weird impasse we had some major injuries my sophomore year we had a really good year we were 10 and 3 we played in the inside.com bowl dwight was up for all these awards our defense was really doing well then my junior year kind of we kind of rode off flat i was proud of us a senior year because our group kind of pulled it together we won our second big east title uh we went to another bowl game sadly we got smacked in that bowl game and what was <laughs> what was most haunting about college football was my first game was in a giant stadium against georgia tech in the kickoff classic which is like a mini bowl game to start the season we come across yeah. georgia tech who at the time I think like some of the best guys in the NFL now were on that team. They smacked us. My senior year, same team. The guys I had been playing with since my freshman year smacked us again my senior year. And it's wow. yeah, it's so terrible. That was like the one frowning moment I can say from college football, man. Yeah. Football in the South is just different. Oh, yeah. I mean Syracuse obviously. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, but in the in the South it's a different animal. Before um, before now Syracuse so- is a player, man. Before now, yeah, the old yeah. Big East. So then you graduated. Did you try to enter the draft? You know, I I bumbled around with football. I was going to go to Canada. Um, I was even going to change positions because I always thought that I they wanted me to play offense. They thought I'd be a better tight end. I was always told, even from high school, Julian trained to offense. You go to the NFL. I loved hitting. I loved the more mm. violence attack side of it. I'm, a, I'm. That's probably how I got into fighting and, and why. Football didn't go up because I just loved contact, man. And um, sadly, I, I fought the change. And then 
I had my son. I had my son my senior year. When I started getting calls to go to camps and go to all these places, there's no guarantee in that. And I had a lot of buddies in the league that were bouncing around away from their families. I, mm-hmm. I thought about my childhood. I thought about what kind of father I wanted to be. And I immediately just like, mm. I said, it's my dream bigger than my child. It took a realization for me to, I called some coaches back. I called my agent. I was just like, you know, I, I got to lock in and be a dad. I think it's more responsible. It, I just didn't have anybody to give me another perspective on how to do it. Now, if I were to see another young man, I might be able to help that person to give him some steps without abandoning the dream because I never believe that you can't try to do both. I have a better understanding of balance and how to get to work and get to end goals than I did at that time. So I abandoned the football plan, just got into a dad plan. Got into a dad plan, man. Now me being a father, I definitely could relate and understand that that comes first, man. That that love mm-hmm. for for something you've created. Remember how afraid you were? Yes. What? So so imagine yes. I had no apartment. And I was thirty. Yeah. I was I think I was thirty one when I had a baby. Yeah. So I couldn't imagine you how old I you was were. Early twenties, yes, you know what I mean? I was like, damn, I don't have a job. I don't really have an apartment. I might get a car tomorrow. I'm trying to get one because I got this baby car. I was broke, broke, broke. You know, like it wasn't like somebody was gifting me down a pipeline of cash. So I started borrowing my girl's car to get to job interviews, walk on the job interviews, taking crappy jobs. Like I was doing everything, man, just trying to figure it out. And then boxing, boom. Yeah. So how, yeah, tell me how that, that came about. And were you back in Brockton at that time? Or? I came back to the area. I, 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 again, went to my old habits, bouncing around, moving town to town. And then I made a vow. I, I was watching The Contender with my cousin every night. And uh, we're drinking, hanging. And I, I'm watching. I was like, I could probably do that, man. And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure, Drew. And that, for whatever reason, offended me. I was like immediately challenging. He need, he's just watching the fight. <clears throat> I'm like, all right, man. When my son can walk, I'll be in the first gym. He goes, yeah, me too. All right, now I'm, I'm all in now. First gym I go to, I never talk about getting fit or losing weight. I was like, yo, how do I get here and fight? He was like, you want to fight? Yeah. <laughs> All right. A month later, I'm in the Golden Gloves. Wow. In that fight, I knock out my first seven opponents. A month later? A month later, bro. I was supposed to do this whole thing. My, the coach, Eddie Bishop, he's like, nah, we should just fight. And I was like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, I'm freaking out. Freaking out. I tried to talk myself out of the first fight I ever had to be in. I've been fighting all this time. When you fight on emotion, right? And you fight, like, yeah. people think it's, oh, man, yeah, I get in the fights, da-da-da. That's a different animal. If you have an emotional cue that triggered you to fight, that's that fight-or-flight experience. Like, you're making a decision in two seconds. Now, six months from now, at 8 p.m., I'll meet you in Mandalay Bay. We'll get on a scale, half-naked, and we're going to decide to fight each other. For fun, bro. For kicks. Like, you stew on that all month or two months or live with that. That's different than, like, being afraid and being like, let's go. It's more like, man, I've now told the world in my most vulnerable state, I'm going to take on this cat and do what I got to do. I have never spoken to a boxer (laughs) and they put it that way, that they put it that way. I feel like no one really opens up about the vulnerability of what that looks like. They think it makes them weak. They think if they speak it out loud, and that's the weakness in their mind and in their game. I found that people that say they're not nervous or not afraid, I think it's a lie. I think it's what you do with it after. I'm afraid you're afraid. I'm getting in there anyway. Because I know how alive I'm going to be on the other side of that bell. Or that, like, you can't keep me from the feeling now. You understand? I'm not, not that I'm not nervous. I'm just so excited about the other side. Like, I am that into the moment of like what it would mean to beat you and outwork you and have all the vulnerable moments go my way. Like I'm so into the experience of like, I think it's a spiritual experience when you fight another man. There's almost a sense of like, I'm going to know this cat better than he knows himself or anybody else knew him. Because I'm going to see at the moment where he was like all in and committed to beating me or he gave up a little bit, gave me some. And then I start taking, taking, building. And win it. And it. It's just a mentality. It's a way. 
I was just gonna add it's get that's a mental yeah. it's just as much mental as it is physical. Yeah. You gotta love it. So you're undefeated in your professional career. Yeah. You started profe- did you debut professionally at twenty eight? Yeah, man. And you and you remain you remain undefeated until you hurt your shoulder. Until I hurt my bicep. yeah, until I hurt my bicep. I remained undefeated. It was a good time. How many fights total? So in my amateur career, I probably had thirty fights. I lost four of them. Okay. Uh I know everybody I lost to. Uh I lost this. My first loss was to a guy I'd already beat before. And that taught me one of my biggest lessons about preparation and like how you come to your training camp or how you come to anything. And I remember during that camp, I had a bunch of guys that weren't like up to par. So we were toning down sparring. And then all of a sudden in the fight, I fought like I trained. Most basic principle, you will fight how you prepare. If you're not up in the mm-hmm. morning, if your diet isn't right, if your conditioning isn't right, once you take that 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 fight and you jump in the ring and you take those next steps, that is going to come out. Whatever version of your camp was, what it looked like, will be on display for everybody to see. There's no hiding that. And I got exposed in that fight on that principle. I love the way you put that because you can take that same approach and you can uh, put it on running. I mean, you're only as good as what your body is and what your plan was and what your, your fitness level is. Um, and so whatever you did to train is what's going to show up on race day and on fight day. Um, and so I, I see that correlation. A thousand percent. Um, that's cool. Man. We yeah. try to, we try to fan you guys more than, you know, cause we all want to be able to run these distances to get ready for fights. So we end up like, I would I would argue that there's boxers that are probably out there running with with running groups and getting down yeah. with those because they want to be better at it because it feeds the other thing. So yeah, it's definitely mm-hmm. related. You had a big fight in Las Vegas yeah. against Rodney Hernandez. Yeah. Was that one of your, your bigger fights or because I read that somewhere yeah. and I just wanted to, to I ask think you about I think to the I think to the world it probably was or to boxing people it probably was. And and I don't deny that it was yeah. like a defining fight because it was uh, it was my first fight that I had knocked somebody out at least in the pros. I had a couple fights that were off camera. I always tell people if you ever want to see the best thing I had done in boxing, it wasn't on film. You had to be there. I was lucky enough. I would take you back to training. I was lucky enough to be in sparring camps with Jason Estrada, the Cuban gold medalist, uh, guys from all over the world. Man. Those were more impactful and more of a show than anything you could have seen I did on film. I mean, I've been in there with some high-level people that, like, the best boxing schooling I've done has been in the gym or in sparring, the best fights I've been a part of. Now, turn it over to the professional and amateur ranks. Once I got into uh, the U.S. championships, I fought our Olympic representative. That was probably one of the best fights I've been in. Once I made the top 10 in the country, I had fought all the top 10 fighters in the country at that time. I had fought Brian Jennings mm-hmm. at that time. Brian Jennings went on to challenge Vladimir Klitschko. Losing to Brian Jennings was more of an experience and more of an education. And, 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 and to be honest, in some regard, losing is not fun. That is not what I'm trying to say. <laughs> let's, let's put that, yeah, let's let's put put that, that out. Losing there. is not fun. However, However like, I, I got to share a ring with a man of that talent. And when I when I realized the difference, like what it was like to bang with someone like that, I I knew how much I was in this sport, you know, like I lost. But I was like, man, I had some moments where like, had I done more, maybe this is mine. You know, it it fed me more than it it more than it deterred me. And my losses kept doing that for me. It kept making me dive in harder. I would have a setback of frustration and mental whatever, because boxing, every fight and every moment feels like the world championship because all camps are that strenuous. Mm-hmm. They're multiple times a day. They're weeks at a time. Fights get delayed. You stay in camp. You're hungry. People don't get it. Your bubble has to be so tight so your mental game can be so tight so that your preparation can go so well that you might win. Like <laughs> That you might win. <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> and it's uh, it's such like... It's such a way of living, but that's why people, when people 
that those hashtags you see out there, boxing is life, boxing lifestyle, boxing is it, boxing is it. Boxing has to operate in a bubble. It has, like fighters have to operate in teams. So the idea of Team Pollard, it wasn't just because it was my name. It came from everything that boxing and I was. You have to build your camp and protect your space with the right coaching, the right nutrition, the right strength and conditioning, all those things. That's what for me my boxing team was. Then my understanding mm-hmm. of my life experiences, football, boxing, when I built a fitness community and a boxing community and a sports performance community for these athletes that come to me, I wanted them to understand that the entire my leadership is the community and bubble we put people in so that they can have a mind state for success. I do want to get into Team Pollard and kind of like your, your training approach, because I know that we came across each other on Instagram because we take a different training philosophy than, than what you normally would see. But just to close out the like professional boxing career, you were amateur and then you signed up to be pro. And then you, when you're fighting pro, did you work? Did you have a job on the side? Because you're saying that you have to be in a bubble. Like how much of that went into like supremely difficult. being a pro a pro boxer supremely difficult yeah. so you did have to balance yeah balance you job. balance more than you know it's uh it's a daunting task like i don't i don't tell people to get in the boxing lightly like man boxing cost me so much in the front end that i want to do I, I almost lost my family over boxing it's not underrated to say that it uh yeah. it consumed my time in a way because it, it had my mind. And like, I just, I couldn't get off the path of at least trying before I could look my son, my children, my wife in the eye. And uh, and it was hard for them to understand. And I was coming off of, I think I, I had grudges toward, toward not being able to fulfill other dreams. I had grudges on where I wanted to be in life. I had struggles financially. Um, I was being challenged as a man, as a father, as a husband, uh, and I was unguided. I was I I hadn't had a father, and then I became one, and then all these other things still were on my plate. So I resorted to things that I I knew from my homies and things that I knew from football, and whatever depending on which one you were heavier on, that could make or break the whole family unit. And I, I dug into boxing, and I and I held I held firm, and I and I almost lost the war. So I learned that we had to be in we had to move as a unit better. I started to get skills from my employer on how to operate corporately, understanding mm-hmm. uh, that there had to be a better bridge between how I coached my family, how I coached my fighters, how I coached my athletes. And then how I coached myself and then who was involved with it. So that that's where the community base truly sprung from. Like my son is in the program. My wife handles operations. My daughter takes a class. Like So it's a family affair. Yeah, and we're gonna lead together and we're gonna build it together. And now everyone has a role in it. Now we have more understanding what hard work and dedication is. So they can see my vision better because they're living it better. Like I'm indoctrinating my processes of schedule, leadership, mentality, everything that I probably shielded them from as a fighter, I'm just giving them now. This is how daddy did it. This is how it took. And this is how I could come back to y'all better and more formed. You know, I, I almost had to polish myself off as a manager, as a fighter, and as a husband, and as a father. Like I had to, I had to take that time to learn me, so I can learn how to walk better, so I could be a better example. I guess all those things, you know, like nobody shows you, nobody tells you, and and nobody has an answer. You're stumbling around the dark, and I, I know everybody can say, like, oh, Julian, nobody comes out and knows how to be a parent, but it's like that much harder when really nobody's been a parent or a father. Like nobody, yeah. like nobody, like did certain things with you. Ever. Like, I don't know what that's like. I don't know if people can get what I'm trying to say, but like, I don't know what it was like when your father did this. Or when your mom and dad fought like this. Or I Mm -hmm. used 
it's funny, me and my wife were sitting down. It was the first time, first year of my life, my mother's birthday had been celebrated out loud. And my father's birthday had been celebrated out loud. I didn't even know that their birthdays were that close in time. They were both over the summer. It was June and July. And uh, my mother's birthday is Juneteenth. My father's birthday is July 22nd. And I'm sitting back after the celebrations, and I'm all proud of it because, like, the showcase went on. I was like, man, it was dope celebrating my parents' birthday. This is the first time in my entire life I had said the word my parents. First time. I didn't, even that experience of saying it. I'm going to write a book. You're sitting here reflecting on a lot of it too, which is really cool to True. watch. Um, but you know how to put it, you know how to put it so well. So I, I can, I can see success in in anything that you do, honestly, because I'm inspired just by listening to you, in the four, you know, in in, in the time we have here together. Um, and we're not even done no, yet, which is no. so. And I knew from the first time we spoke recently on the mm -hmm. phone. And um, forgive me because I have, I have a really bad memory. And I know we met before, sure, sure, sure. and I'm sure we had a phenomenal we did, conversation. We did. You know, Rob has been like a brother to me since the day. Rob is how we, we connected. Uh, Rob Eugene. Yep. Shout out to Team Hennessy. Hennessy. Yeah, for sure. Shout out to Team Hennessy. I mean, that brother, he walked into the room shortly after my daughter was being born. My daughter was born on Christmas Eve, so it's not a not busy time of year. I'm I'm December 23rd. She's December 24th. Him and another friend of mine named Bryce come walking in. And at the time, they were just the only two cats from my like my personal life that just showed up. And I was just mm -hmm. like, bro, what I said this out loud. We're friends like that? And he goes, Yeah. <laughs> Cause I, I didn't know Rob is so supportive. So supportive, bro. man. And like I just hadn't seen another grown man be so attentive. Not only to friendship, but like this cat. I ain't trying to boast and have this whole bromance thing, but but you can relate. This cat. Hey man, we need we need more than need we more. Need more All right, we need to good. give each other love. So we need to give each other our roses. Yeah. So the cat. Uh, I remember I went missing. I'm I'm all in the work. I'm building team polyp. Uh, he hits me up. He goes, Hey, what's up, man? I was like, What's up, bro? Sorry, I'm in the middle of something. I, I know that. I know that. We, we, we have plans this weekend. I don't know if I ah figure it out. Get your daughter. We're hanging out. We're gonna do something as a family. We're gonna do some father stuff with these children. I said I gotta clear my schedule. Like the man was just challenging me to be dig in again. He was just like, "Come on, Jude." The one thing I'll share is the night of my wedding. I got so lit after the wedding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the club, like he's the one that took me back for to sure. My, to my hotel. I'm not surprised. Put me on his yeah. shoulders. Arm on his shoulders with Maya and holding. I'm holding Maya's hand, my wife Maya's hand, and Rob and got boom, me, and we go and boom. take me back to my room. I'm not surprised. So, I love um, that story. Not surprised. <laughs> that's just one. Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously, uh, you know, and he just uh, he just Hennessy and Rob just acknowledged me through the the British yes, So I saw that. I saw um, that. Very appreciative. Congratulations that. on that too. I I think so, that's a good mile. That's a good community of people to be recognized with. I don't know if you've seen the lineage of those toasts. I have, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I have. So, Super dope. All right, so Team Pollard, tell me about it. Um, tell me about the full kind of scope of, of what you're doing. Man, here. so it's been a whirlwind this past year. Uh, when the pandemic hit and it locked us in, it just locked me into myself. And I just started thinking. I had a, I had a great conversation with a buddy of mine named Sam. And he kept using the word scale with me. And he kept using... Uh, Things I knew about business development, things about marketing, things that I just wasn't pulling the trigger on and doing. And I was like, man, Sam's just telling me all about myself. Why aren't I doing this? Like, I know what he's talking about. So I left his house that night and I was like, I, my program has to exist other places. My, cro my program, not because it was Team Paula, but the acronym on Team Together Everyone Achieves More, became a, oh. Wildly powerful statement every time I said it. And then I kept thinking, I could create this bubble in a lot of different spaces. So I'm building schedules and programs in different locations right now. I'm tapped into Bishop's Boxing. I've been tapped into a gym called D-Fit in West Bridgewater. And I've been tapped into University, University Station Health and Fitness in Norwood. And in those spaces, we're taking private uh, boxing lessons and we're taking lessons and we're doing sports performance training. Working now with a network of coaches 
that we can build these different buckets and divisions up so that we can have strength and conditioning for basketball, for hockey, for soccer. And if people were to question and be worried about, well, how does this guy transfer to my sport? We're taking some of those fundamentals that we talked about learning and understanding. Those mechanisms in boxing are so relative to hip turns and lateral movements across almost all sports. And to add that fine layer of detail, we're recruiting coaches from those sports that have an elite level. What we're doing as a network or as a team of coaching is we're digging back into each other, training one another, relearning some new things, fixing old bad habits, and transitioning. Hey, this hip turn from boxing applies to this move in football or this and that. And we're, we're sharing information, sharing space, and, and, and building a network and programming off of that. And we're, we're building streams of clientele and promotional opportunities for these coaches. I love that. And I know. I know because I've benefited from from this type of um, a kind of network yeah. and and um, and the what's coming out of what's being created because not nothing. I've went to like six, seven physical therapists, chiropractors, nobody, two years, nobody, and then found Aaron, who is essentially doing what we're talking about here. And within two to three months, I was back to running seventy miles For a sure. month. For um, sure. And so. And so I think that uh, I think that it's a big it's a, it's a growing space, um, and the more we share the information, it's not like you can go to school. No, for, you, you can't. Know, so. You got, and we got to get people to experience us. We do a lot of we do a lot of trials. We do uh, we have a we have something we're we're running called Open House. Um, we're inviting athletes on a weekly schedule to share a month long program where they just help us build content. We share the space with them. We dig into the, what they can do with the sports performance. They kind of get a, a test drive of us for a month. We build some other disciplines mm -hmm. around their week besides the one day they're with us so that the training can be more impactful. And then we send them back into the world. Mm -hmm. Some, A lot of those guys come back and say, hey, man, you've gave me a taste. Feed me now. How do we grow with you? So it's it's been a good, successful little process. Uh, we're trying to expand our brand, trying to expand our presence, and trying to get people to understand more about what Team Pollard is and, and how we can help in fitness, in sport, and if you care anything about boxing. And the whole boxing piece, go ahead. Uh, the whole boxing piece. No, I was yeah. going to say, because you haven't added boxing yeah. to it. That's like the third part of it. Yeah, so the, the, the reason I think athletes should do boxing, and and I'm not in the, the business of, of trying to make everyone uh, be a boxer, but the foot timing, the core and hip connection, the idea that your hands and feet mm -hmm. will always move together, the idea that we're asking you to change direction and get laterally with speed and precision, all of those things are going to play into the bigger picture of what you have to do in other sports. If you can have a great, a great six-inch step, that is an impactful thing in any sport because being first is important. Getting there with control is important. Getting there safely with your body is important because it plays into the longevity of the athlete, the impact of the athlete, and the impact of the moment to be precise and to be in a new direction and to be impactful and to be ready to handle whatever it is, punches, blockers, obstacles, all that stuff. So I, I think as, a, as an older athlete, it's continued to help. Like I notice myself in workouts still hanging based on the methodology of my program. So yeah. I'm trying to prove it as I go. I think I think about it a lot. Um, and I even think about it when I see my my son running around and squatting. Like he's squatting. Like babies are just perfect squats. Right. <laughs> I know this right. is weird, but like oh. I watch him squat. And I'm like, bro, I'm going to – we're going to be doing some fun training because you are going to be squatting. Like yeah. That. We're going to be putting them through all this for stuff. Sure. For sure. Um, my son's boxing you know, I'm not. I won't be the – yeah. yeah, I won't be the dad that pushes anything on my son, but I will be the one that like we're going to be doing different things. We're not going to be doing what everyone else is. Doing. I agree. I agree. Um, and and in a, in a way, and taking this methodology of how to train your full body across the spectrum. Sure. So it's not you're just a soccer player or a basketball player, but it's it's exactly what you're right. talking about and and taking um, strategies and lessons learned from other um, from other successful folks. Um, cool, man. So what uh what's the what's the plan for the future here? Like um, right. I know you're you're still working full time. Yeah, yeah. I, I could see it's going to be bright for sure. You got the whole family. Yeah, in. 
So, um, do you, so yeah, so talk about like kind of what you're, you're thinking. I think going ultimately we want a facility. We want to be a full circle program. Mm-hmm. Right now, our, our immediate goal is in this, in these next two years to scale the programs and the locations we're in in an impactful way that helps build our message and our brand. Then beyond that, our plans are to get into mentorship. We're trying to help. Even now, we're trying to bridge the gap with some of our young high school players to get recruited by college programs. We think we're coming across talent that just doesn't know how to attack the process. Um, it could be single parent homes. Like I, I've been on the I've been on the phone with some moms, just saying, "Hey, I think I could get your son to start applying to schools just to be ready to get in." And even that step sometimes is lost in a household like that. So I'm trying to introduce myself to those kind of parents. And, 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 and when they get into my program, I can dig into the steps like, how are you scheduling? How are you planning to attack your day? Are you applying to schools? Have you taken tests? Are you reading? Are you doing these? So we're, we're challenging the athletes and trying to expand upon our boxers, our universal sports athletes, and just our fitness community. If we treat them all like athletes and cater to them with this kind of priority, it's a better system on how they'll grow. I feel like our adult program for people that just want to get fit has been successful because we're applying all the same methodologies from boxing and sports disciplines. Our college athletes are coming to us better organized, better groomed, and prepping like athletes. Our boxers are getting a true understanding of sports performance its relativeness, and now they're becoming better at the the basic mechanic of how to throw a jab. The understanding on some of my youth guys and how they get, if you you check out some of my youth guys and how they can box in spring, it's from introducing these footwork challenges, these hip activation challenges, these call to actions on core, uh, getting them jumping rope. We're, We're just putting all these little building blocks into these youth kids that say they don't carry out in boxing and they get into baseball, they're going to be fine. Like, we're not hurting them. We're actually enhancing them more than people even realize at the time. And some of the kids that have been with me now for over a year are starting to see the benefits of that. Their feet are getting better. Their time is getting better. Even the understanding of how I coach them and the, 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 the cues I give them verbally, how I can see it actively, that's just a testament to, all right, we're on the right process. Just keep building. Just keep building. Yeah. This is dope, yeah. man, Julian. This is uh, this has been amazing. Man. Truly, man, and I, I hope to be on again, and I can't wait to spread the news on this podcast. Absolutely. Uh, there was something you said yesterday, and I want you to add it here so that we can add it in. Um, something about this being your story. Uh, so, what, what's that? Every, everybody got a story, but this is mine. You know, everybody has a story to tell. Everybody right. has peaks and valleys and hardships, and no one has to care. But if in some way it connects with someone. And we can vibe and get into a space where we motivate each other and build something, you know, then here's my story. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a quick review. This helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. If you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it with them. That wraps up today's show. Thank you. And I'll see you on the next episode.